the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a good afternoon to you. Welcome. Always an honor and privilege, even on this program in the weekday afternoons, to spend some time heading home with you or whatever you might be up to between 5 and 7 in the evening. And uh, as always, we address issues and topics of hopefully concern, interest, enlightenment, maybe even occasionally amuse you. Here here and there, we try our best. There has been a long, steady drumbeat, drums sounding against any notion of the inclusion of Christ or Judeo-Christian ethics in the public square. Uh, Again, this notion that we've been making this slow shift from what had been the view, the vision of our founding fathers of creating a nation where there could be freedom of religion, which here too far our founding fathers had not quite experienced in England, to an atmosphere today, uh, some 250, 300 years after our founding, that seems to be taking on a decidedly different atmosphere, that of freedom from religion. To get some insights on this, our special guest tonight as we lead off the program is Larry Towton. Larry is the founder and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, an initiative dedicated to defending and promoting Christianity in the public square. He's also the author of a new book entitled The Grace Effect, How the Power of One Life Can Reverse the Corruption of Unbelief, newly published by Thomas Nelson and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as no doubt on Amazon. And Larry, great to have you with us on the program tonight. Delight to be with you. Why, this is interesting as we sort of watch, um, I don't know, I guess guess in many respects it's sort of the proverbial uh, frog in the kettle effect that we're seeing here in America today, where slowly and ever surely there seems to be this march, this parade, at least in the public arena, uh, where we've moved from the notion, as I said earlier, of a nation that provides freedom of religion to those that are now trying to recraft our nation into one uh, that provides freedom from religion. Well, it's like so many other things in our our culture that are gradually being redefined as they are uh, amputated uh, from their Christian origin. That is to say, from the from the anchor that that had once held fast uh, not just our our culture but our very vocabulary. So, for example. Um, uh, tolerance is now understood to to mean um, diversity is meant to to uh, mean uh, uh, just the celebration of differences, no matter what they are. Supposed uh, as opposed rather to um, uh, a traditional American view, which is born out of uh, out of Christianity, that we seek to overcome um, our differences uh, for the sake of a, a uh, of one cause. 
Um, and these are the kinds of things that are happening where we're redefining family, um, redefining the roles of men and women, all kinds of things. And as you have said, there is a there's a kind of slow leak, as I like to put it, of Christianity out of the culture. And in my book, The Grace Effect, I'm trying to give a glimpse to readers through through a narrative, through a very compelling, very real story of, of my daughter, of what a culture looks like when it is completely led of Christian influence. And of course, a lot of this is done with this notion, as those in the public square that are pushing this would try to promote, uh, that we don't want uh, any undue religious uh, in, uh, influence on anyone, that we're trying to creative society uh, of great tolerance here, and that the Christianity, for example, has a history of tremendous intolerance, and they will typically quote things like uh, the Salem witch trials of, of American history and folklore, um, and perhaps more history than folklore now that I think of it, but uh, from that perspective, as well as to things like, uh, you know, what happened with the Inquisitions in Europe, etc., etc., and, and they use many of these events to try and argue this notion that Christianity in, in in particular, and maybe its companion religion, Judaism, are, are vile, evil, oppressive religions, and they're just simply trying to create an atmosphere of greater tolerance. Well, uh, that is just a bunch of sheer nonsense. Um, the 20th century was an experiment in secularism, and it was a century that saw well north of 100 million people dead. Now, that is that is more than all of the wars all previous centuries combined. That's not just the you know, quote-unquote Christian offenses. That's the let's, let's just throw Muslims in the mix and Hindus and, and, uh, and Judy, all of this. None of them come even close to the horrors that we saw that were perpetrated sex for regimes in the 20th century. Um, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't um, uh, the Jews who were uh, who were wiping out um, Germans. It was uh, uh, it was a, a fascist, a, a radically secularist uh, regime that was pushing these people into gas chambers, and um, you know saw uh, globally about 50 million people dead. Um, and this, this attempt um, at revisionist history uh, is something we all need to be very vigilant. Of, um, because uh, quite clearly Christ commanded uh, that his message to be advanced with the sword. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the the poster boy for um, atheism these days, is a guy who makes these types of arguments. Well, as I the point I've made to him is, you know, if I, if I kill you in the name of science, does that make me scientific? Well, of course not. Um, any more than somebody who says that they do something in the name of Christ. Christ himself predicted uh, in John chapter 16 that people would kill uh, in the name of God, uh, would do these kinds of things. We, we know this, um, but we have to, to discerning about this. And I, and I will say this, even the radical secularists, you know, who are making these kinds of arguments that Christianity is dangerous, they are at least making some subtle distinctions um, uh, whether they want to acknowledge them or not. Notice that they're saying these things mostly about Christians who are, as a rule, a tolerant people. Notice they're not saying them a, a whole lot about Muslims. 
uh, uh, people who are known to be quite intolerant of criticism of, of, of their beliefs. Christopher Hitchens, also a famed atheist, and I write about this in my book, The Grace Effect, he and I, uh, he's a friend of mine, somebody I've debated publicly, uh, and privately, we drove from his apartment in Washington, D.C., all the way to my home in Birmingham, Alabama. Along the way, we studied the Gospel of John. This was a follow-up to um, a challenge I'd made to him a couple of years before. I assure you, Christopher Hitchens does not get in the car with a Muslim in a bulky overcoat. Uh, you know, so he is making some distinctions um, and uh, you know, uh, uh, about Christians, whether or not they want to acknowledge this publicly or not. We understand what the effect of grace is. Uh, we understand that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that none should perish but all have everlasting life. So we understand the effect of grace. But now let's talk about this from the perspective of your experience in uh, in traveling to the former Soviet Union, the Ukraine to be specific, known uh, uh, by many in that part of Eastern Europe, and uh, the former Soviet Union is kind of the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, and um, the efforts of your family to adopt a young Ukrainian orphan by the name of Sasha. Uh, yes, um, I, I, I'll let me back up just a wee bit and, and say this. I think that we as Christians don't fully understand and appreciate grace, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. We speak of grace quite rightly as that thing which changes us, with, which transforms us in an instant when we repent of our sins and we receive Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what we mean when we speak of grace. But that's, that doesn't mark the outer boundaries of God's gracious activities. There's another form of grace that he gives, and it's, it's what we refer to as common grace. And, and common grace is that, that grace, you know, Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount that God sent his rain and the sun, you know, on the, on the just and the, and the wicked alike, you know, that his goodness overflows even to those who, who, um, who don't believe. What I'm calling the grace effect is a, a particular a kind of, of manifestation of common grace, meaning this, that it's a kind of grace that God gives to a culture only when there is a significant presence of his people in it. And so my argument in the book is this. You know, my wife and I, we travel to Ukraine. Um, I think your your uh, listeners will find very compelling this story in, in this book, The Grace Effect, and how um, we're uh, in this process, as you quite rightly mentioned, to, to try to adopt Sasha. And I've been in that part of the world many times. I've been in Ukraine four or five times before this, Eastern Europe, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Poland, and so forth. So I was not unfamiliar with that part of the world. I was familiar with his business practices and the corruption. But I guess I was naive enough to believe that we wouldn't experience it to the degree that we experienced it when it involved the life of a child. Every single uh, official that we encountered, we had to bribe. And this, this begins to raise some interesting questions um, about why is it that they have such a disregard for the least of these, for the widowed, the orphaned, the sick, um, the elderly? Uh, is it because um, Americans are just innately better? Well, no. Uh, scripture would tell us that human nature is the same the world over. But the 
the, the uh, public discourse in this country, indeed throughout the West, has been gentled by the grace effect, meaning by the presence of God's people, our society has been made a little more tolerable. And if we haven't been made good uh, by it, we've been made a little less evil than we might be. And the result is we, we do have a concern for our poor. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back to our conversation tonight. We are visiting with the founder and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, Larry Towden, the book, The Grace Effect, How the Power of One Life Can Reverse the Corruption of Unbelief. We've often heard this uh, false promise of socialism. We're kind of seeing some of this uh, play itself out, I think, uh, in the wake of what's been going on here in the United States in the last uh, couple of three years here. Uh, but, but Larry, certainly this was sort of uh, brought to perfection in countries like the, the former Soviet Union. We're seeing a lot of it, too, in Europe. Um, and this idea that, uh, as we said before, um, uh, instead of the government serving the people, the people serve the government. How does that, when we create that, that God-neutral atmosphere and suddenly people are there to serve the government instead of the other way around and we have exercised God from the public square, how does that, what does that picture look like? Paint that picture for our listeners. Sure. Uh, it, it, I, let me give a concrete example of, of what that looks like. Um, the kind of governments that appear in totalitarian regimes didn't happen by accident. They came about because uh, the people with the guns <laughs> were, were a people who had a different view of human life. And I want to be clear, most of them were people who believed very sincerely that their view was the correct view and that they were doing uh, uh, the world uh, a favor by doing what they did. People like Vladimir Lenin and Mao and Stalin and Paul Pot and, and so forth. Uh, and, and what it ultimately looks like is this. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson, who was not himself a Christian, but who was unquestionably heavily influenced by, again, what I call the grace effect in my book, the grace effect, that is, by the presence of Christians. Uh, he, I mean, he had his own translation of the Bible, for heaven's sake, and, and required that it, that it be used uh, in his own teaching. Um, a guy like Jefferson is quoted as saying, it's better than that, that ten uh, guilty men should go free than that one innocent man should be uh, um, in prison for something that he didn't do. Now, contrast that with, with the view in, let's say, Russia, for example. A few years ago, well, now it's been 12 years ago, in 1999, there were bombings that were taking place there um, by Chechens uh, who were protesting the war in their part of the world and, and, uh, and so conducting some terrorist acts in places like Moscow. Well, once they knew that it was somebody uh, from that region of the world who was conducting uh, these bombings, the Russian response was to arrest 11,000 people from that part of the world. Uh, the bombing stopped. 
But you see, they had, because they had no respect for individual life and liberty, they thought nothing of, of uh, taking that sort of action. So in contrast to, to Jefferson's view, here was a view that said it's better that, that, that 10,999 people who didn't do something should be arrested in order that we might catch the one who did. And all of this is born out of our view of humanity. And when you kick that block out, which is the foundation of Western culture as we know it, uh, what you're left with is, is, uh, is a world that's void of grace. You're left with a world that is, that is uh, uh, void of laws that have any anchor in the absolute. And so on what grounds do you protest your own government? All effective reform movements in the West have appealed to God. They've appealed to higher laws. The abolitionists did this. The reformers in Britain um, did this. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did this. Uh, indeed, um, the founding fathers of this country did the same thing. But if you no longer acknowledge a higher power, to what court do you appeal when your government becomes a wicked and oppressive regime? Well, and as you point out in that example, it's the difference between revenge versus justice. Uh, Absolutely. Somebody commits a crime and they say, you know, we want to bring about justice. And so we're going to interview and research and investigate until uh, we're able to either ascertain exactly who the culpable parties are or going to smoke them out, so to speak, or they're willing to come forward as opposed to, well, somebody has done something here that's wrong. And so in order to um, eke out not justice, but revenge, if nobody comes forward, that's OK. Shoot them all. I mean, Stalin, as oh. you point out, was was infamous for this kind of thing. Uh, there at one point was the notion that there had been uh, some, uh, well, I'll put it this way, there had been a lack of full commitment to some of the commands of the, the commander-in-chief, uh, Joseph Stalin, during World War II, and um, uh, there was kind of the feeling at the time that a couple of key battles, specifically some of the fighting for Stalingrad, had been lost because of it. And the answer to all of that uh, was not to try and bring those that did not follow his orders uh, to justice, but rather just kill everybody, which he did. And and he ended up wiping out thousands of key military leaders that many argue uh, was a significant setback uh, to Russia's ability to effectively defend itself against the Germans in the Second World War. Of course, uh, you and I know that the, the rebuttal to that would be to say this, oh, that's so unfair. That's just one madman. But no, it isn't just one madman. This is this is the result of an entire culture that comes off of the rails. And the result is, and my daughter Sasha, having lived, um, or herself being the, the product of this kind of Soviet thinking, uh, I mean, Ukraine is, is, has been uh, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, what shall I say, the, the redheaded stepchild to, uh, uh, to, the, to Russia for centuries, um, that the result was that, that, to put it even more flesh and blood terms, is the complete degradation and the devaluing of human life. Let me use another example that was recently in the news. Perhaps your listeners are aware of this video that, that went viral on the Internet and made big news of a, a, a child in China where the cameras on the street caught images of a, of a toddler who wandered out into the road, was hit by a van. The van backed over the child, and then when they realized they'd hit a child, they drove off. Eighteen people, the cameras recorded 18 people who walked by and saw this child crying, and the 
blood pooling around her. Another vehicle came along and whack, hit her again and killed her. Now, that is a horrifying story, but it raises some interesting questions. Was this just a unique event in China? Well, we now have discovered that there are other reports coming from all over China that it isn't unique. And Americans, whether they're Christians or not, they hear a story like this and they're horrified by it. But why are they horrified by it? They're horrified by it because whether they want to acknowledge it or not, they are deeply influenced by the Christian understanding of what human life is, and we don't treat it like roadkill. And so to answer your, your, your question of, of a few minutes ago, what does a world look like when it is absent Christian influence? That's what it looks like. It looks like a place where the government doesn't care for people and people don't care for people. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. KFAX listeners are intimately aware and and uh, familiar with the story that Larry shared of what happened in uh, the, the south of China here about three weeks ago, if memory served me right. Uh, and as you'll know at the time, I, I articulated my absolute utter disbelief that someone would, would commit an action of hit and run like like that and clearly, when you saw the video, you saw the, the the van hit the child, roll over the child. The driver paused for a moment, think that I hit something. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, and then proceed on and roll over the child the second time. If that wasn't horrific enough in and of itself, that as Larry points out, eighteen passers by over the course of about twelve minutes walked past that child as the blood was pooling below her and made no effort to do anything, summons anyone, contact authorities, absolutely nothing, which I think is a very apropos example of what the influence of atheistic communism does to the very soul of mankind. We'll pause on that point and come back with more. A look at the grace effect, how the power of one life can reverse the corruption of unbelief. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to our conversation. Larry Totten, my guest, author of The Grace Effect, How the Power of One Life Can Reverse the Corruption of Unbelief. Your experiences of what you saw and witnessed during this process in the Ukraine, as we say, uh, this a nation under Soviet rule uh, pulled into and part of the Soviet Union uh, for many, many decades. They had suffered horribly during the Second World War, had been a very focused attack by the, uh, the Germans during the war. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of genocide that took place. Uh, there are killing fields, so to speak, even in the Ukraine because of what happened during that war. Um, and then, of course, here a nation under the influence of, of atheistic communism for the better part of, of second seven decades. Tell us a bit about what you saw and the experience in the process um, of adopting Sasha from an orphanage and what you saw in Ukrainian culture juxtaposed against what we know of, of Western culture that has the strong Judeo-Christian acknowledgement of God's existence, we'll call it, influence. Sure. Um, well, we live in a culture that right now, as I was listening to your program, you were talking quite rightly about how uh, uh, there is this effort to drive Christianity from the culture. And as I like to say, it's being treated increasingly like smoking. You know, it's, it's an unpleasant thing, and none of us want your secondhand religion. So why don't you go do it in the designated areas, but don't bring it into any of the public sphere. 
What I'm trying to say in the grace effect is this. And it's a wonderful life. George Bailey is given a, uh, a believes he doesn't bring much to the table. And he's given a glimpse by an angel of what his hometown of Bedford Falls would look like if he had never been born. It's not even called Bedford Falls. It's Pottersville, and it's a terrible place. Well, I'm arguing in the grace effect that that America would be a Pottersville to the 10th power. If you remove the Christians from the culture, what you have is the kind of things that we experience, where human beings are, are not treated as having intrinsic value. Uh, my daughter, Sasha, had been abandoned at birth. She had been raised in three orphanages. Orphanages, by the way, that were all running off of atheistic principles. What do those look like? Well, those are principles that say that human beings don't have souls. We only need to address physical needs. Uh, and they, they scarcely address those. I mean, children weren't given um, a hot shower. She was given one bath a week. She wore the same clothes. Uh, she wasn't given toilet paper. Um, she had exposed nerves and damaged teeth. She was given no education. She's HIV positive. These were the kinds of things that were going on in the orphanage. And, and that's before I even get to the, the kinds of things like human trafficking. Um, the children, 30% of those who have uh, uh, special needs will be dead by the age of 18, 60% of the girls will become prostitutes, 30% of, uh, of the children will, will become uh, substance abusers, 10% will be dead. You know, these are, these are the, the kinds of things that happen in a culture when you begin with the wrong premise. You see, a worldview is it's like glasses through which you understand the world and your, your view of God, uh, of, of his character. Um, or his existence and non-existence will determine how you view man, and that will in turn influence the kind of government that you create. And the kind of governments that they created saw human beings as temporal beings who were there to serve the eternal state. And this stands in, in stark contrast to a traditional Western view, which is based on a Christian worldview, by the way, that says that man is an eternal being. And the state is a temporal institution that is there to serve him. So we begin to see just how radically the absent, absence of Christian belief, it's, you knock over that domino and they just keep falling. And you really see then this juxtapose of the notion of government serving the people, which is uh, traditionally the, 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 the Christianized Western viewpoint of democracy, uh, such as what we have in, in countries like the United States or Canada. And then just the opposite, the, the 180 of that, where the people are there to serve the government. And, you know, that, that might just seem to be an easy flip. But there is something very profound about that, and we're going to have Larry articulate it at, at, at a deeper level exactly what is the impact of that. And I think it's important, and I'll say this just before we take a timeout because I know we're a, little, a bit late for the break here, but I think it's very important that we pay close attention to this because we're in the middle of a big political cycle right now. We are facing uh, a scant year from uh, this month, uh, one of the, perhaps the most pivotal elections that this nation has faced. 
And we're seeing slowly this shift taking place um, in the American psyche, in the American politic, uh, away from uh, the allowance of the influence of grace on our lives, uh, a, a, a pulling away from the transforming power of grace, as uh, Larry Towden articulates inside his new book, The Grace Effect. And instead of saying that we need to embrace the impact, the influence of the Judeo-Christian ethic uh, as the, the compass, the moral compass that drives our nation. Instead, we're moving towards more of an institutionalized atheism. We see this taking place in politics. We see the effect of it in the public schools. Uh, now it's getting to the place where, you know, you, if you're going to practice your religion, make sure that you do it quietly, privately, and behind closed doors so that nobody is aware of it. The notion of sort of banishing Christianity from American public life. What is the impact of all of that? What if we could just wave a magic wand and be done with the influence of the Judeo-Christian ethic from public life, what would the new public look like? Many of the lessons that Larry brought back from his experiences in the Ukraine, I think, are ones we need to take very careful note and consideration of. Let's talk a bit, Larry, about the experience your family had in the adoption of Sasha um, and the the change about, uh, the turnabout, rather, that's taken place in her life. Uh, yes, uh, boy, I tell you, it's been huge. And uh, and I want to be clear that this book isn't, uh, it's not Anne of Green Gables or Heidi or Christie or something like that. There's a much larger story and narrative that is uh, that is being told here about uh, culture itself. But Sasha is a metaphor here um, for what, what God can do to entire nations. And in her own life, she had... Uh, she had experienced uh, the the material, the spiritual, the the uh, emotional, uh, and intellectual deprivation that that comes in a society that is absent. The, what I call the grace effect. When that's not there, the kind of common graces that God gives through uh, the presence of Christian people, there is a there is a a, a, a very uh, ugly side um, of life. And uh, here she was in circumstances like that. We bring her back um, to the states. Um, you know, it's it's a little uh, you know exciting for us to have observed in her. She's been with us for about two and a half years now. But to, to see her um, experience so many things for the first time, um, a warm uh, a warm bed, her own bedroom, um, a hot shower every day. Boy, she really runs up my hot water bill. <laughs> um, she enjoys those things. She enjoys um, having a father, a mother, um, brothers. These are things she gives thanks to God for every day. And they're the things that the typical American child, of course, would would um, take for granted, um, would have that opportunity to take for granted. Also seeing her get appropriate uh, medical attention. Um, imagine going around for years um, with exposed nerves um, in your teeth. Your teeth are, as, uh, as the pediatrician said, um, her teeth were bombed out. Um, she had to have, uh, I think it was seven teeth pulled. Um, I, I believe that's correct. And uh, you know, so seeing this kind of transformation and then watching Sasha step from a culture where human life was not deemed to be as valuable and where there wasn't appropriate care for the orphans uh, into a culture where it, there is still a, a residual of this kind of grace of which I speak, 
uh, is rather extraordinary. And, you know, and for her to, to, to uh, step from a world that the radical um, secularists would give us, the grace effect is giving you a picture of what that world would look like. And I don't mean, by the way, that they are aware of it. They're very well-intentioned. They think that they can maintain the kind of culture that we currently have um, and still, you know, get rid of God. But it's like cutting off the limb uh, on which you sit. It just simply cannot be done. So uh, I think Sasha's life trumps any argument that anyone can make against the power of God's grace to transform a life. Larry, we appreciate uh, you joining us tonight to tackle this topic that, quite frankly, an hour doesn't even begin to to do it justice, Uh, at least to give the listeners a glimpse of obviously the reality of what we're facing in our country today, but but what the end result can be if if good men fail to do anything, if good men do nothing, if we do not prevail uh, in standing firm for our faith, not just for the preservation of our rights as people of faith in our country and the ability to exercise freedom of religion, First Amendment, blah, 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 but for the literal preservation of the nation and what this country has stood for, for both ourselves and for the world. The book, again, is called The Grace Effect, How the Power of One Life Can Reverse the Corruption of Unbelief. The book, as I mentioned earlier, is published by Thomas Nelson, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Larry's website at graceeffect.com. That's graceeffect.com. And again, our thanks to uh, Larry Towton for being with us. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, welcome back to the conversation. And this uh, next statement is going to seem like a, gee, really? Uh, California is a pretty big state. <laughs> not only are we the largest in terms of population, and uh, and certainly while not the largest, one of the larger states in terms of geography, we're also the state that has the biggest economy. It's often been said that if California were a country in and of itself, we would be anywhere between the seventh to the sixth largest economy in the world. And with an annual tax base of, for example, last year alone, $250 billion, you'd probably think that there ought to be an occasional look underneath the hood to see exactly where and how that money is being spent. A system of checks and balances would be nice. And ostensibly speaking, there are positions in California elected office that are supposed to function in that fashion. For example, the state controller is supposed to do just that, uh, make sure that the money is being spent in appropriate fashions. Although you got to wonder, given the fact that one party controls every aspect of government in Sacramento, is there really a true system of checks and balances or is there an awful lot of waste going on that will never know about. Well, my next guest is um, seeking to be able to make to do uh, something different about that, to restore a sense of systems of checks and balances into Sacramento when it comes to spending that $250 billion of, by the way, not the state's money, it's your money and my money. Dr. Lonnie Chen is a research fellow with the Hoover Institution, director of domestic policy studies and lecturer in the public policy program at Stanford University and a longtime friend of this program. And Dr. Chen, great to have you join us. Great to be with you again tonight. Uh, We've talked in the past about this very issue, looking at the way California brings in revenue 
and equally the way California spends money in a lot of ways in places where not only we scratch our heads in terms of what's being actually approved for in the annual budget signed off on by the governor, but then it gets down to, do we really know that when they say money is going to X program that it's going there, or is there an awful lot of unaccounted for waste that nobody really cares about? Because let's face it, what are the Democrats going to do? Report on each other? That won't happen. Tell us the reason why you feel it's time for a change in Sacramento. Well, I think we need accountability for every single dollar our state spends. And right now we don't have that. You know, California is the only state in the country where we do not have complete visibility into every single expenditure of state government. And I think that's unacceptable for a state in this economy as large as ours, as you indicated in the introduction to our here. The amount of money we spend as a state is really staggering. And, and the bigger problem is that we spend this money without any real results in too many cases. Let's take the example of homelessness. What we have seen is homelessness get progressively worse in cities across California, whether it's Bay Area cities or in Southern California or in the Central Valley. Homelessness has become more and more of a problem. And uh, that is despite the fact that we have spent, oh, about $20 billion on the problem over the last three years. So what we need is we need somebody to go to Sacramento to give us accountability for that money, but more importantly, to demand results. And that's something the state controller is well equipped to do. And, you know, it's it's not odd that many Californians say, you know, at the end of the day, I want to pay my fair share. I understand that there's a lot that comes to keep the state up and running from highway building and highway maintenance to police and fire protection, education, on and on the list of services the state government provides goes. And yet there's always that lingering sense of every time we write the check on April 15th, how much of this is really going to its intended purpose and how much of this is turning out to be special projects that are special contracts going to special friends and just pure out and out waste that nobody stops to say, you know, that we have the money may be one thing that we ought to spend it on, you know, gold plated paper clips for the governor's office. I'm, I'm jesting, of course, but it's probably not that much of an exaggeration that nobody stops to say, how about taking seriously the income and the outgo and we never see any results of anybody ever saying the state controller just finished an audit of X and discovered X number of millions or billions that's all going to waste. I've never heard those words reported from any media source in this state in decades. Yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, what ends up happening, of course, is that the money goes to places that we later on find are are deeply problematic. Here's another example. Some of your listeners, and you certainly are familiar with the unemployment insurance fiasco we've had in California. This is a fiasco that's been called EDD after the department, the Employment Development Department, that has issued these payments. And now we know that 20 to $30 billion in fraudulent payments in our unemployment insurance system went to fraudsters, people in Russia, in China, and yes, even folks in state prison. Uh, the famed murderer, Scott Peterson, received unemployment insurance benefits from California taxpayers during the pandemic. This is 20 to $30 billion, and I want folks to understand how much money that is. We're talking about enough to pay our state gas taxes in the state of California for every single Californian for two or three whole years. That's the amount of money we're talking about here. So um, it, it is really remarkable how much money has gone out the door 
and how much fraud we've seen in spending. And all it really requires, you know, in order to stop this, is somebody in state government saying, you know what, is that money supposed to be going there? Does that make sense? Are we getting results for our spending? And right now, unfortunately, in too many cases, we don't have that. And sadly, and you haven't said this yet, but I will, the straight controller's job, while uniquely empowered to bring such accountability to Sacramento, instead largely ends up being a stepping stool to higher levels of political position. And so it's almost a position that essentially, in terms of direct service and accountability on behalf of the people of California, is wasted. You aim to change that. And one of the things that I think listeners need to be aware of is that often times, and we hear these stories all the time, politicians go to Sacramento, they go to Washington, D.C., and if they get caught unexpected by a reporter and asked, what's the cost of gasoline, what do you pay for a gallon of milk, they will typically give absolutely outlandish answers, knowing how fully disconnected they are from the day-to-day reality that most Californians have to face. I was struck by the fact that recently a camera crew for a local TV station happened to be following you around as you were doing your grocery shopping, which I think ought to say to folks, you know, Lonnie's a guy that puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us, and and your sense of being able to be sensitive to the ultimate impact on California taxpayers and California voters when this kind of waste and and needless spending goes on, I think ought to be quite refreshing. Well, it, it is important for public officials to understand the challenges that are faced by Californians every single day. And, you know, I'm struck by how much things cost now. I, I, I know you feel the same way. I know your listeners feel the same way. How much we're paying for a gallon of gas, how much we're paying for a loaf of bread, for a gallon of milk, all of these things that we need uh, to help our families and to make sure that we're living day by day. All of these things are becoming more and more expensive in California. And the fact that you have politicians that don't really care, that are so focused on really other things, they're focused on their own political careers instead of making sure that we help people across the state. That's the biggest challenge is when our politics become disconnected from reality. And as you rightfully note, in too many cases, people go up to Sacramento or Washington, they get swamp fever, and they just stay there, and and they make a living off of that. You know, it's unfortunately a job, the state controller's office, that's filled in too many cases by political hacks who are totally unqualified to do the work that we send them to do. I think my opponent's a perfect example of that, someone who's never been outside of politics before. So what we need is a dose of reality. And, uh, and that's what I hope to provide. And we need, quite frankly, and I think this is true not only at the state level, but even at the federal level, we need politicians that will drop the, the, the political rhetoric and instead be true statesmen and stateswomen and represent not first and foremost their party, but rather, first and foremost, their people, their constituents, not just the voters that put them in the office. I mean, and when you become governor of California, you're not the governor of just the Democrats. You're the governor of everybody, Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians, you name it, across the entire political spectrum. Sadly, a lot of these positions, as you point out, Dr. Chen, tend to be people that are just want to be uh, sort of kowtowing or, or, or towing the, the political line. And so, therefore, we've had this glaring lack of accountability in particular in the controller's office for, my goodness, almost 50 years. Now, toward that end and before our time winds out, because I know you're a a busy man these days with the election barely a week away, um, a Republican running for controller 
in California, I did say California, didn't I, (laughs) where the seat has been held by a Democrat consistently for five decades. Uh, We've kind of outlined a lot of the differences, but at the end of the day, as folks are making these decisions, they go into the ballot box, they go to, to, um, you know, draw the line or punch the card, whatever they do. Why do you feel it's important that they give your name for control or special consideration? Because I think we need independence in this office. We need accountability. We need somebody who is going to be able to express the will of taxpayers, not the will of the Sacramento insiders. And I think that there's a reason why every single major newspaper in the state has endorsed my candidacy, whether it's Sacramento, San Jose, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego. These are newspapers that haven't endorsed a Republican in a really long time. But they're endorsing me because they believe that we need someone who's got the right background, the right experience, who's got the temperament for this job, who's going to be able to go in and make sure that we uncover what's happening in government. And that's why I hope people will take a look at my candidacy. They'll go to Chen for California, C-H-E-N-F-O-R, California.com. Look up my candidacy, and hopefully we can earn the support of many Californians across the state. And I'm enthusiastic about our prospects for winning on Tuesday. We're at a very critical juncture, undoubtedly, as we not only look at a lot of the the political turmoil, uh, certainly uh, domestically and overseas, but then on top of that, the economic turmoil. And a state like California, of all states, with such top-heavy spending as what we have historically had, needs to be very considerate that it's easy to spend the money when good times are here and the tax dollars are rolling in, but when economic times begin to change, that means a greater degree of accountability is just so critical for literally the life and sake of the state and most importantly, its residents and taxpayers. Dr. Lonnie Chen, we appreciate the time. Wish you much success next Tuesday. Meanwhile, if you are uh, continuing to make your considerations as you head toward the ballot box next week, um, encourage you to get more information about Dr. Chen's candidacy for California State Control. Controller Chen for California. That's F O R Chen for California dot com. And our thanks to Dr. Lonnie Chen for joining us. Hope to talk to you again soon when uh, you're not just going to be Dr. Chen, but uh, Controller Chen. Hey, Lonnie, good to hear from you again. You stay well, my friend. Thank you. You too. All right. 602 from KFAX. Let's get you. Um a little bit of business here to take care of that, yeah? Then we'll come back and uh, more just around the corner with a special guest joining us for the Church of the Week. Um, it's a church that's had an influence on the peninsula for, my goodness, over 70 years. And if you're if you're old enough and a long-term listener to KFAX and remember the teaching ministry of one Ray Stedman, you'll be in for a real treat coming up next as Lifeline continues. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.